Can anything be whelming? Is it only underwhelming or overwhelming? Um, let's see. Also a recording. I don't know if you got a <clears throat> permission question. Yeah, it doesn't even ask me if I want to. It just says it's How invasive. So whelming is to engulf, submerge, or bury. How can you be underwhelming? You aren't submerged or, bar or buried? Because overwhelming would make sense. Is whelming like just the right amount of being buried? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's, is that the same kind of whelm? Whelms is a fantastic word. That's according to dailycampus.com. Oh, it, okay. It says the word whelms implies a definitive loss of visibility to your immediate surroundings. So while it's a milder degree of being overwhelmed, it isn't milder to the extent I thought. So, uh, so even being whelmed is like you're dying. So being overwhelmed is you're really dying. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So how can you be underwhelmed? You're just normal? How can you be... How can you be what? Underwhelmed. How can you be underwhelmed? You're, normal you're like so complacent not in danger just so blah yeah I think you could just say I'm just not whelmed at all not <laughs> whelmed yeah <laughs> were you looking at the daily campus yes okay because you were like reading your thing and I was like I'm reading the same thing <laughs> <laughs> wow that's interesting whelm is a good word I was yeah. by the storm yeah so how was your cruise? Oh, it was super good. Have we talked about that at all? No. Oh, so much happened. I mean, there's just a lot that goes on on a cruise, but it was super was good. Was that your first cruise? Ah, that was my first time oh. on a cruise. Yeah. It's exciting. So I get see I've gotten seasick on multiple occasions of me being on a boat, mm -hmm. which I don't have that many occasions of me being on a boat. boat. So percentage-wise, it's a lot that I've been sick. So I'm a little worried, but I felt great on the cruise, which is good. Until the time when I ate a peanut, and then I felt very bad. <laughs> you ate a peanut on the I cruise? Know. Yeah, it was wild. Because, like, have you been on a cruise where, like, you have the same waiter every night? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, we realized in hindsight that I should probably always do that, and that should probably be a necessity for me. Um, because we did the one, like, you know, choose your time or whatever. And so I had a different waiter every night. Um, and I think they take allergies very seriously and it was mm -hmm. always fine, but there was one time where I think there's just like a miscommunication because I had like ordered with one waiter the night before so they could make sure it was peanut free. And then the other guy the next night brought it to me. And I, I don't know what happened. Anyways, they brought out something that had peanuts in it. And I asked them, I was like, what's in this? And he was like, it was like this Indian dish. So there's like a lot of different things going on. So it's kind of risky to begin with. And I asked him and he was like, um, eggplant and I was like okay <laughs> oh no I, like, I probably checked it anyways I immediately started feeling terrible which was zero fun um <sighs> but it turns out I mean I in my mind I thought that if I ate a peanut I'd have like 15 minutes yeah but that's not the case so that's good oh. yeah I had a whole hour of feeling very bad and throwing up and then I went to the um 
like emergency room on the cruise, which it is- took you an hour to go to the emergency room. Well, I didn't really know what was happening because I didn't know I had eaten a peanut. I, I didn't really know what I had eaten. I just started. Oh. So, so it was a lot slower of a reaction than I thought. But then eventually I was like, no, I need to go to the emergency room. Um, so I went there and then the miracle of modern medicine, I felt amazing. Like they gave you EpiPen. Um, they actually gave me, they had to give me a shot in my butt, which was just as fun as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of like Benadryl basically. And then they gave me a ton of steroids. Oh, but they couldn't find my vein because like my veins are already kind of hard to find, but then I was like cold and then my body was dying and it was like, we need to constrict all the vessels. And so anyway, so my veins were like not to be found. And so they tried all my arm, all my, they tried both my arms <laughs> and they tried my hand. And I was really worried because this has happened before when I was in the hospital and they couldn't find my vein. They tried my arms and my hands and they said, do you want us to try the jugular? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, well, it's your only option. <laughs> oh my god well then I why didn't you phrase it like that why was it a question <laughs> so anyway so I was worried that would happen on the cruise but the lady did great and she found my vein and I didn't have to go she didn't have to go for the jugular so that was that was a definite plus I was just thinking like because I'm just looking at you on zoom I'm like what if she did your forehead vein <laughs> <laughs> I do have a very prominent forehead vein <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know how that would work. And I feel like it would go straight into your brain. I don't think it oh would be good. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. And is that any like less risky than the jugular? I don't know how these Those work. both sound bad. <laughs> I was I was wondering because I'm getting wrinkles on my forehead. I was like, maybe, maybe I could just put some filler in there and just fill it up. Sure. And I was like, no one ever does filler in their forehead. They only do Botox. I'm like, maybe I'm onto something genius. Oh, this is different from, oh, I see. I don't know, yeah. but you get like a big like bump on your forehead. Yeah, big narwhal hump. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do then? Um, Right. So I looked it up and they were like, they being Google. Google said that you can't do that because it's too close to your brain. Oh. And I guess there's important things there that you can use botulism on them, but you can't stuff in more silicone. That's so interesting because I, I had to check my forehead to confirm that your school is right there. So you think that your brain is, you know, protected from that, right? Like, and there's like the blood brain barrier, like shouldn't that, I don't know, but I guess if it's like too stretched or something, I mean, your forehead isn't very stretchy. Is that I, I don't know, but they were just, that's not an option for me. I'm just going to have a wrinkly head oh. or a Botox head. Those are the options. You almost could have had like the Nobel prize for something. I know. I thought about it. I was like, wow, I'm so smart. Why don't these housewives do it? Can you say that last thing again? You cut okay. out. Oh, I was going to say, I don't know why the housewives don't do that. And then I realized it's because you can't do it. You cannot do it. So, all right. So you almost died on the cruise. That was, that was. Was Josh scared? Um, I think so. I don't know, but he did, he did so great because I was clearly not doing well and I was throwing up. He was like, you need a hair tie. And he was like there for me the whole time. 
didn't say, or, you know, I didn't really want to talk. So he didn't say anything. We put on HGTV. That was great to watch while I was mm-hmm. feeling terrible. Um, and he called 911 for me to get the, cause it was after hours. So anyway, mm-hmm. so he did great. And he took care of all the paperwork and stuff. He had to go back the next day to like do whatever with the paperwork. And there was someone there who had had a stroke. And I was like, that's way worse than having an allergic reaction in the middle of the ocean in Alaska. Neither's great, but <laughs> I and choose a peanut attack over stroke. Anyways, so that's that's interesting. I feel like there needs to be a documentary about the hidden life of a cruise ship. Because I think there's a lot that goes on. So there is Below Deck, which is on Bravo. Oh, that's exactly what I want. Yes, you would probably like it. Um, it's not a cruise ship. They do private charters. So it's a similar thing, but instead of it just being the masses, it's like the upper elite. Like these private charters might cost $200,000 for like That's a five funny. day, six day jaunt. That's a little more than we spent. Yeah. Yeah. A little more than I would spend too. Uh, but Below Deck is very popular on Bravo. So you might like that. Good to know. One thing that I was wondering, do you know that some people for retirement, if they can't afford like proper retirement, they will just live on a cruise ship until they die? Yeah, I've actually heard of that because it's cheaper and you like have yeah. all the meals and you can get food delivered to you. Yeah. Like you basically have home help or like, do they bring yeah. a nurse? Do they what? Do they bring a nurse? Or they're maybe good enough to where they, they don't need that. Yeah. I think, I think you have to be like good enough to where you can like help yourself up and down and you don't need like a nurse, but for, it's like, you don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. You have activities. Yeah. You get to travel, you get to make friends. So for some people, that's a really good option. I have heard that. And I thought about that when I was on the cruise and everyone who I looked at, I was like, I wonder if they actually live on cruises because <laughs> there's some people who like, they've been through this before. Like they know where everything is, that none of this is, you know, new to them. Yes. They are very not whelmed by anything. So um, are you cruise people? Will you go on a cruise again? Well, you know, the peanut attack was a lot, but I, I really enjoyed the cruise. I thought it was a ton of fun. And now I think we know more of like what to ask for and stuff for the allergy thing. Um, we got a waiter after that who was like super, super good with, you know, allergy stuff. So that was really good. I will say though, after my reaction and honestly, before my reaction, I was just kind of nervous to eat anytime, which isn't super fun. But other than that, it was super amazing. Definitely go again. And actually we are going again in December. <laughs> so you're cruise people now. I work cruise people now. I know. So Josh's dad had planned this one that we just went on. And then Josh's mom is planning the one that we're going on in December. And she like heard about my reaction. She's like, oh my gosh, is Chrissy okay? And then she's also like, will Chrissy still go on our cruise in December? <laughs> and then I said, yes, yes, it was so much fun. And she's like, oh good, I was worried. <laughs> oh my gosh. So... <laughs> The last time I went on a cruise, my bowels did not straighten themselves out for like a year. <gasps> Andrew and I called each other cruise boy. All the time. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I don't even think, I think the only time I recovered now that I'm thinking about it is when I got food poisoning and I just got to reset the whole biome. <laughs> I got to start fresh. <laughs> because unlike you, we're not afraid to eat on the cruise. So we just went for it. <laughs> it opens up a lot more options when you're not scared of the food. Yeah. My friend, she is, she's cruise people. She goes on like five cruises a year. She said that she eats until she gets the meat sweats. <gasps> oh <my> <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> she's like, when you have the meat sweats, you know, you did it. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> she needs to get that on a shirt and then wear that on her next cruise the i eat until the meat sweats and all oh the my God. will know all the, they, <laughs> the craziest thing is she's like the tiniest person that you'll ever see that's how it always goes like the hot dog eating competition winners yeah like five foot okay but are you guys cruise do you still like cruises because josh and i had a whole plan but it depends on whether, what your thoughts are on cruises. Andrew and I are not cruise people. That's what I thought. I know. I know. It's like, there's so many great things about it. And I wish I could be a cruise person, but the biggest thing for me is like the water. Cause we went on like a several day cruise. And then after you're showering for so many days, I felt like my skin was so dry. I felt like I was just like to the brim of booze and food, like a walrus, like rolling me down the little gangway thing, you know? Um, you didn't have your fillers in at that point. Oh my God. My head fillers. <laughs> that is interesting. But in summary, we're not cruise people. Uh, but what was your thought? Well, my thought, <clears throat> because I'm always trying to see when can we do our next family reunion and get everyone together. Oh God. <laughs> and I was saying like you know because I know you've you I think you've said to mom that like mom and dad wouldn't like a cruise because of lots of reasons and I was like you know I think they could like it and then Josh said he's very intuitive he said that'd be your mom's dream to have you all locked in the middle of the ocean and all you can do is spend time with each other and I was like you're right and then Josh, this was Josh's really brilliant idea where I was like, how have we never thought of this? He was like, you can make it an adults only cruise and all the kids stay with the other grandparents. I said, that's a good idea. That would make it a lot different, a lot more fun, I think. I could be, I could be convinced if the kids were gone. See, no offense to the kids, but it just really changes things. They're great. Well, it, it just becomes all about the kids. And then with the cruise... I mean, sometimes they do have activities for the children, but it just becomes so expensive and then they're just all over the place and you just want to have fancy dinner. I want it to be about us. We're the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have like kid time and another time. All right. <laughs> but let's get into it. So last time we oh, finished. We haven't even done our intro. <gasps> oh my God. We? What are we doing? Oh my God. We're rusty. Okay, go for it. Alrighty. So welcome to Bookalicious, a podcast where sisters chat about books we're reading and also our vacation plans. I'm Chrissy. 
And I'm Candace. And today we're continuing our conversation on Elantris. Um, this is part 72 or something, because we've had a lot of we've had a lot of good quality content up till this point. We have definitely been splicing individual words. So we're gonna try to pick up the pace, I think. This is like an Elantris Bible study, is what it reminds <laughs> me of. <laughs> like verse three. <laughs> what did they mean (laughs) let's look at this at the literal and the symbolic level so yeah yeah. Chrissy has done some of the recordings already and she sent them to me and the biggest piece of feedback that I've given myself is that I talk too much (laughs) I think that I laugh too much and it sounds weird so I'm just going to you'll see me laugh on the zoom recording. So it won't be that weird for you, but I think it'll help the audio. Oh, you'll be like silent laughing. Yeah. Like silent like laughing. Does that make you like uncomfortable? Your mouth will open, but no sound. Are you going to just mute yourself when you laugh? I just demonstrated what I would do. What did you think? It was weird. <laughs> you looked like a ventriloquist dummy, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I just did it for her. I could see my screen at that moment and I also thought I looked weird. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well, we are gonna start with chapter 15. And I have some bad news about this one. Oh no. I have the mass produced paperback copy. And I read it the first time and it was fine. But now that I've read it the sec- second time, the glue is coming undone from the pages. So as I'm reading, the pages are flying off the side. And so I've lost about. Oh my gosh. Can you see that? I I can see it. No one else can, but there is a good portion missing. I've lost about at least 120 pages. And so when I was reading and taking my notes for chapter 15, I was carefully highlighting and laying them in order. And then when it came time for me to take the notes, I saw all of the papers and I threw them away. <gasps> you threw them away? Well, what am I going to do with all these loose pages? So I accidentally threw away my chapter 15. So my notes is just missing with a sad face. <gasps> oh, you don't have any notes? Not for chapter 15. So I'm flying blind. Okay. But this will make the podcast shorter, which I think is what we're all looking for. So, well, I was going to also share some reasons why it might be a little shorter this time because I was reading chapter 15 on the plane. And so I was like handwriting some notes. I don't think I actually like, you know, moved them to my computer. So it's a little hard to read. So, anyway, we'll see how chapter 15 goes. You don't have the book? Oh, no, it's only up to me. I know. The good news is, is that it's um, Hrathen's chapter and he's a turd. So I think we're okay. If Is it Hrathen's chapter? Is it? Well, okay. It's weird because all my notes say it's Serene's chapter, but we just had a Serene chapter. So that oh. would make sense. But my notes are all about Serene. So I really hope that's what it is because otherwise then we neither of us have notes. This will be the missing chapter. All right. Well, we'll just figure it out. So Chrissy, it's up to you. Don't let us down. Yikes. I don't know where these notes came from because it's not (laughs) chapter 15. (laughs) Really? 
No, I, okay. Yeah. What is this? How do I? I think chapter 15 is only like two pages long. Um, it's a little longer, but okay. Okay. It's not super long. It's definitely a Harathan chapter. Okay. I, chapter 15 should say chapter 16 on here. That's the, but that also doesn't make sense. I'll piece it together. Okay. (laughs) All right. It should be chapter 17. Oh no. So I have two chapters worth of notes handwritten. This is. Oh, ch- yeah. Chapter 17 is Serene. This chapter 16 is Rayodin. Chapter 15 should be Harathon. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Okay. All right. All right. So chapter 15, everybody, it's about Harathon. <laughs> I'm gonna oh my god flip over to it oh my god I'm gonna just google what is chapter 15 in Elantris <laughs> oh my goodness okay dokie all right we'll we'll cut out this little pause we need to review what this is about okay well in other news I have found that there's something called the Sander Lanch podcast <gasps> and they they are on episode 74 of Elantris? <laughs> I don't know if it's of Elantris specifically, but they have one episode for chapters 14 and 15. I don't know how long it is, but I'm wondering if we're operating at the same pace. Maybe. Are they like currently releasing these? Uh, what would be so funny is if we just directed people to that podcast for these missing chapters. And then oh my god! Up with the ones we have notes on. <laughs> oh my god! But no, I'm I'm review- reviewing all this. I'm getting it. <clears throat> okay, so this is Harathan talking to Telri, and they're on the wall of Elantris. Oh yes, they're on the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay, is this actually sparking some memories? Yeah. So basically, what's happening there is that Telri and Harathan are just solidifying what they're doing with the plot to overthrow the king and Talry's kind of wishy-washy a little bit until Harathan says if you sign up with me I'll make you the king right okay all right yes all right so that was an exciting yeah this was an exciting chapter because we're getting to see more of his plan and how it's like unraveling um okay I think that's a good summary so far. I have some quotes and things. Do you have other summaries or have you found out more about this podcast? The other podcast? No, (laughs) no, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) But I did find that there is a Brandon Sanderson website where he does his own annotation of each chapter. So maybe instead of me trying to guess what he's thinking, maybe I can just read that and figure it out. Wow, that's next level. Yeah. Also, what was that podcast called? What I really want to know is why aren't Brandon Sanderson's groupies called the Sand Castles? The Brandon Sanderson Castles. Uh, I don't know. It's a really good idea. You know I'm what? surprised they haven't thought of it. I thought that was so clever. I don't know what they're called okay i guess not 
I, I actually have no idea what they're called. I don't think that they have like a, a self-name. So the, the sand castles could be an option. It is like kind of like high fantasy flavor. The sand castles. The Fandersons. Oh, that's good. They're the called Fandersons. the Fandersons. Oh, that's their official name. Yes. Well, that's good. Okay, but they could be the Fanderson Sand... No, that doesn't work. No. <laughs> the Fanden Sandcast. That's too much. No, I think Fanderson is a little more on the nose. Yeah, that, that one's good. That one's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you had some quotes you said. Oh, yes. Okay. <clears throat> so back to chapter 15. So, right. Yeah. So, um, Harathan is on the wall and mm -hmm. Tellery comes up and they talk about their plan. Um, some quotes I had picked out is <clears throat> we see like Harathan's inner dialogue happening here because he likes to go to the wall of Elantris and just think about things and pace around. Um, and as he's looking out in Elantris, he uh, just has a lot of I don't know, like tension, I guess, in him of like, wow, this is, this was such a beautiful city and now it's down to this. And like, how did that happen? Um, and it says he also felt a responsibility toward the people or whatever they were that lived in Elantris. He was using them, holding the, holding them up as an enemy to unite his followers. He felt guilty. The Elantrians he had seen were not devils, but wretches afflicted as if by a terrible disease. And I just thought that was so interesting because now we're seeing some more depth in Harathan where it's like he does have a heart and he he is having some I don't know what what's the word some conflict between trying to convert the people because he thinks that's what's best for them but he's like not fully sold on his methods of doing it but he like doesn't really see a better way so this is just the best he has um which I think is different from what we've seen before and especially different from Diloff who really does seem to be like just hatred through and through yeah, my my take now that I'm refreshing myself on this chapter is that Harathan kind of represents the ends justify the means if it's for the greater good. But along the way, even though he's committed to, okay, this is the option that will yield the best results, along the way, he does have... Uh, I wish there was a different method. I wish it could be a little different is kind of my take on it. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but he's not going to change his, mm -mm. his thing. Mm -mm. Nope. Not well, many people do. I know. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Diloff gave him another way. He said you could just destroy everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a lot faster <laughs> <laughs> it would be you know I actually thought of another way too it comes up in another chapter but I'll just say it now because we're on the topic yeah. um, <clears throat> but it's something where um, Harathan is talking to the Wern or like someone I forget who it is but someone who's kind of in charge of him and the head guy is like well not everyone needs to convert just like the nobility and then like that'll be enough and so then I thought, what if Harathan actually just converted the poor people and then gave them a ton of money and then they became the nobility on tax day? Oh, that's interesting. What a twist. 
that would be a twist. I think one of the big holes in that is that there's probably just way too many poor people. But I mean, how many nobility do you need? Just pick. Oh, I guess that's true. Like you just hand pick like a couple people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I think that actually would be a really good strategy, but the, the worm, the worm, the worm, he is coming in on tax day to kill everybody. All of these events are happening on the same day. It's like very coincidental, like very like, oh, how convenient. And maybe if Rathen said, hey, can you just give me like a week past tax day? I think that's the only hole that I could find in your logic. But it sounds good. Well, because I think like Jadith, like the God is also coming back on tax day. And he probably can't be bothered to be (laughs) a week late. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot riding on this very special day. So unfortunately, tax day is what it is. (laughs) Bummer tax day. No one likes tax day. I know. It's the end of the world for a lot of people. (laughs) But especially if you're harassing. Yes. So any other quotes? Okay. Um, so yeah, so I like that. Some more depth in Harathan. Um, <clears throat> okay. I had another, so Harathan and Tellery talk, and I can't remember if this was planned. Was it? It was planned. Okay. Yeah. So they're meeting in secret. Mm-hmm. So like no one knows that Harathan and Tellery are in cahoots. Um, but Tellery mentioned some things. I forget exactly what it is, but Harathan is kind of like, whoa, how did he know that? So it's like Tellery has these informants that Harathan doesn't know about. And my guess was that Royal is one of Tellery's informants, which is why Royal asked Serene to the ball, even though it was weird because he was an eligible bachelor and they said that she shouldn't go with eligible bachelors. So that seemed weird, but maybe it's because he's in cahoots with Tellery. And so Royal was trying to find out stuff from Serene and then told Tellery about it. That was, that's my. Oh, interesting. I think that's, that is a very interesting and good observation. I think I might be right based off your reaction. You might be onto something. I don't know. So, oh shoot. It's slipping away. It's gone. Oh no. Serene, Rathen, the ball. Mm-mm. No. The only thing that I remembered is that Tellery was supposed to be an incognito and he was in like a silvery lavender cloak. So everyone knew it was him when... going to the wall. Oh, he was? Oh, I, I forgot. And, about yeah. And Harathan was annoyed about it because he's like, we're supposed to be an incognito. And he's just like, I am. And he like flicks it off. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, the image I had in my mind when you said that was um, Zoolander. <laughs> like when he's going to work in the coal mines and he has some like a bedazzled yes winter suit yes <laughs> i am working in the coal mines pops <laughs> yes yes exactly that's exactly right poor wrath and he's just trying to do his best he's like i'm trying to save the world and then he has given Diloff as his right hand man and then he's given tellery to work with who comes in his glitter suits <laughs> <laughs> Therathen can't catch a break. So I I think I remember one of the quotes that I had pulled out. Maybe it'll jog your memory. But I remember 
crap and kind of thinking back about Serene and his interaction with how she foiled his initial hate speech. Yes, I think that was in here. Yeah, and how he... I think what I had highlighted is that because he had all of this like prejudice against Serene because she's Tiosh and probably because she's a woman and he underestimated her and it's just kind of like striking that chord again where you have all of these people who have all of these different prejudice prejudices about each other. And then it keeps causing them to stumble and not be as successful. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Do you think, because I'm trying to think about like, you know, all the different prejudices people have against each other. Does, um, what, Ray Odin, does he have prejudices against? Because he seems pretty like, you know, open mind, I'm going to love everybody kind of thing. He He is, but you do see little fractures in it when he's speaking to Galadin in the next chapter when Galadin's talking about his religion and he keeps like talking he's like oh it's like a a below it's like a cult it's like a not real religion and he keeps like saying it like that but we'll get to there okay yeah that's right Mm -hmm. cool okay so one of my the last part in this chapter um that was a good quote if you think of any more but the last part that happens in this chapter is <clears throat> Harathan's talking to the guards and um, they, uh, let's see, let's see if I can find the thing. Oh, is that when they, he, does he tell them to get in a lantern or he sees them letting in yes, Ray it's, it's Yeah, it's something like that. Like they see, they're letting the lantern back into the city and um, Harathan is like, does this happen often? And the guards are like, yeah, sometimes. And Harathan's like, well, the next time it happens, bring him to me because I want to study Elantrians. And the guard's like, um, and then Harathan gives him some money and he's like, okay. Okay, yes. So this must happen the same night of the ball. So you have the ball with Serene where she's meeting everyone. She stays late. She comes back. And Rayodin and Karata had just left the castle. When she comes back, as Rayodin and Karada are going back into Elantris, Telri and Hrathen are meeting on top of the wall. Okay, right. So that's all happening the same night. Very busy night. Well, it's a busy night. Mm-hmm. Tax day. Everything's happening on tax day. Everything happens on whatever night. Two weeks. Happens. Yeah, on this Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> just another day okay ready for chapter 16 yeah i think we can put a close on poor chapter 15 i know so do you have chapter 16 notes or do you do you not have those yes yes i have all my other notes it was just um chapter 15 got thrown away oh okay good 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 yes Mm -hmm. okie dokie do you want to summarize chapter 16 no i think you should because i talk so much okay oh unless you want me to do it because you're yeah i don't fully remember everything that happened in chapter 16 okay no worries i'll do the summary so chapter 16 there is a little bit of the young rayodin backstory but it's um in regards to his sion ian and so ian was saying 
Like I want to serve. I want to be like, I like being this way. And Ray Odin's like, no, like you should be free. Like, I don't, I don't like that you're like strapped to me. Like that doesn't seem right. So he has that kind of internal conflict as a young person where someone wants to be in a role of servitude. And he's like, is that freedom? Um, and then this is the chapter where Galadin, Rayodin's partner in Elantris, he finds out that his hometown had gotten taken over by um, the Durethi people, Harathans, Harathans people. So that was very upsetting for Galadin. And then Rayodin's group his little gang, they are working on cleaning up the church and making their place very hospitable. And so that's pretty much it. Okay. Oh, and then the, la the last big thing is that Rayodin goes to the second gang. So Karada was the first gang. He converted her, all of his people. He goes to the second gang and he converts he converts the second gang to join him okay right that was a great summary thank you that was very long well that was really helpful because i really didn't remember what had happened and these are still <laughs> my <laughs> this is still my plane notes so my my notes from the plane so they're not as good as they normally are so that was very helpful <laughs> okay good so let's start with that first part with the young Rayodin backstory where he's talking about the Sion and how he's having that internal conflict. Did you have any notes there? Um, not really. I had written down that Sions are kind of like angels, question mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what line made me think of that. Um, it was probably, it was probably this line that I wrote down. It was as if the Sions were an expression of Domi or God himself reflections were much closer to heaven than their supposed masters could ever really understand. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like it. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So they kind of remind me of like angels. Um, and I think it's interesting too, that the Seon, Rayodin's like, you're, you're enslaved. How could you like this? Don't you want to be free? And the Seon's like, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel like fulfilled from that is kind of the idea I got. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was interesting because in Rayodin society, he's, you know, encouraging people to do the thing that they should be doing and the thing that they want to be doing. And now like they're feeling fulfilled from that. So I wonder if that's maybe the connection of why he's having this flashback at this time. Mm. I think he's kind of trying to bring other people up to the seon level where you just like are content and doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of it like that. Oh, what did you yeah. think? I was thinking that I was just taking, I think a little more literal where I just remember from like the Bible, how it talks about how you are supposed to want to serve God and basically be what I'm imagining a Sion, Sion, where it's like you 
you're very happy and content to just follow all the rules of the Bible and be like a follower. Mm -hmm. And some people might look at you and say, oh, you're limiting yourself or you're not doing X, Y, and Z. And you're just like super happy to just be in that role. That's kind of where my mind went. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's interesting because I think it is also reminding me of Bible things, which is why I think it reminded me of an angel, but mm-hmm. like a different, I guess, like interpretation of that, of like being happy means that you're doing the thing you're supposed to be doing is kind yes. of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you thought of it better. I think that's good. Yeah. Um. Okay. Any more thoughts there? I don't think so. Okay. So the next part is that I highlighted was Galadin to Rayodin when he finds out that his hometown got destroyed. Mm. And so he said, what happened to Jasker? He asked my religion, Jasker, what happened to it? And then Rayodin's talking about the mysteries and this, this, and that. And then Galadin says, the mysteries are not the same thing as Jesker. They are a mockery of things sacred, a perversion. Only outsiders, those without any sort of true understanding of the door, practice the mysteries. So the only reason why I bring that up is because we start introducing Jesker and the mysteries in the following chapters. And so this is our first introduction to it. And it seems like you have Jesker, which is like this really good religion. And then you have this subset of it called the mysteries. And it is not the same thing. And it sounds like they do like a lot of really bad things with that religion. Right. Yeah, that's help. I'm glad you brought up that quote because I had written down mysteries in like later chapters, but I forgot that it had come up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is like one of the first, first times where it really comes up and it's talked about. Right. But it's kind of interesting because it's like, <clears throat> I know most of the religions are like the same parent religion and they're just like kind of different like offshoots from that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, there's four different religions or so. And they all kind of think that the other is a perversion, mm-hmm. the true thing. So, so I don't know, are the mysteries bad? I think our only introduction to them is from people who think that they're, you know, profane or whatever. So mm-hmm. we have to think that they're not good, but it's just kind of interesting to see that those perspectives. <clears throat> yeah. It's like the Spider-Man meme. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone's pointing at each other being like, your religion's bad. <laughs> You're <Your> religion. <laughs> yeah. So it feels, it feels a little like that, mm-hmm. but I will say, I mean, Galadin, I feel like he's just a fan favorite. Like he's just the wise old guy, the little mentor helping the hero on his journey. And so I'm kind of, um, what's the word? Like inclined. Incl- yeah. I'm inclined to you know, agree with Galadin's religion out of all of them. Cause I just like Galadin. I feel like he well, has so a thing going on. It's interesting that you say that because my, so I'm like thinking about it, you know, how I was like, it sounds like, like the three religions that are like the main players sounds very much like Judaism, Christianity, 
um, and Islam. So yeah. then I was like, where would Jessica fit in? And I was like, would that be Mormonism? Whoa. And then how you're taking it as you're like, that's like the best one. That's wow. You might be onto something. Well, because it's it was also talking about how it's like how everyone interprets Jessica is that they're like, oh, it's like this crazy cult thing. And like they have a bunch of wives and this, this and that. And he's like, no, it's not like that. Like only outsiders think of it that way. Wait, they say that about Jessica? No, people say that about Mormon. Oh, 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 I was like, I don't remember that part. Okay, yeah, yeah, people, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, people say about Mormonism, it's a cult. You have all these wives, you do this, this, and that. But then if you talk to someone who's in Mormonism, they would probably have a similar reaction like Galladin had. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I could, I see what you're saying. So I don't know, I don't know. We'll keep teasing this out, but that was kind of my. yeah. I would be kind of curious though, because is Jessica at all related to the other ones? Because I would imagine, I mean, and this might not be like a one-for-one parallel in real life. So, but like, I would think it'd be at least in some way connected to Christianity if it is Mm -hmm. supposed to kind of represent that. Yeah. So I don't know. So as we go, as we go, we'll take more notes. The only other thing to note here is that Jessica is the only religion thus far that talks about door, D-O-R, which is the magic or the power that powered Elantris. Oh, I always thought Galadin was actually an Elantrian. I, I think he was, he's an Elantrian. So, so, so that's the, that's the only other thing that I wanted to highlight there. Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. All righty, so then next we have, um, let's see, where do they go next? Are they cleaning? Yep, so now Raiden goes back after he has that conversation with Galadin, he goes back to their home base, which is the church. And one of his new group members had been, quote, attacked the chapel's grime with the same holy indignation a priest used to destroy sin. Yeah, what a line. What a line. Yeah. Okay. I wrote down, let's see. I wrote down one of the quotes from here. Um <laughs> it said something like there was a deep look of pride in his face, and it was about the guy who attacked the grime, whatever, whatever. Um, and I guess that kind of ties in with the Seon thing, and then just with Ray Odin's like whole goal with his new um tribe or whatever they're calling it gang um Mm -hmm. that he's just trying to restore people back to like their fullness and like oh yeah and so like he's doing the thing he's supposed to be doing and he's fulfilled like the seon Mm -hmm. so i like i really like seeing that yeah yeah i think that's really cool um the other the other thing, and I think it's like similarly related is that this person who was cleaning, he joined the gang because he said, I heard you have a way to get rid of the hunger. And Ray Odin said, yeah, we do. You have to clean up all this grind first. And he was like, what? But then by having the sense of purpose, the quote that I pulled out is pain lost its power when other things became more important. Gahar, the 
gang member didn't need a potion or an aeon to save him he just needed something to do yeah yeah I like that that reminded me of there was like someone who I had met either when like volunteering or like at a church thing or something and she I don't really know her story but she was in a really bad spot and so then she went to <clears throat> this organization and she was like like I just don't even know what to do I need help and they're like you want to mop the floor I think she needed a job was one of the things she needed mm. like you want to, you know, help mop the floor? And she's like, okay. And then she was like, then she said that that was the best therapy that she needed because it like, she, it was kind of one of those things where like, she's just like focusing on herself and all of the hard things, which is reasonable because she went through a lot of hard things, but something that just really helped her was serving other people and doing something to take her mind off of it. And not just mm. need like, you know, actual therapy, but I think there's like some actual truth in what he's saying there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I think when sometimes life can be so cushy that you just sit and think about all of the horrible things that are going wrong in your life because you just have too much time on your hands to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And what you need is to just do something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had also, so my last thing I thought from this section um, was how it seems like the outside is kind of reflecting the people's inside. So like when they were living in grime, they felt grimy and like mm-hmm. felt like they were worthless. But now that they're starting to clean up the castle and stuff, they're starting to feel better themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was interesting because the way that the, it's like an interesting parallel or opposite to how the government in the city is set up where people's um, position in society is determined based on their wealth. Mm-hmm. And it, I think I just thought it was a connection because in my mind, I feel like the people who are in charge, it should be for some like inner reason of like, they're the most equipped or like the best person for the job. But in this society, they're judging that based off their outward wealth. So it's kind of like their outward wealth is saying their inner quality, um, but it's kind of like inverted, I guess, <clears throat> to where like the people with all the wealth, mainly the king, seems to actually have a terrible inner life. Yes. So you're saying that the nobility are actually like ugly inside, right? pretty outside, and they're running the town, but in Elantris it's reversed yes or yeah 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 I think that's what I'm saying mm-hmm. something like that I thought there's yeah. a- <laughs> I, I think I think there might be that might get fleshed out more as we go so I think that's a good comment and we'll keep it in mind as we keep moving forward yeah I like it I think you're onto something there so the only other thing here is that um Rayodin convinces gang number two of three to join him and right. so that's pretty much it I didn't have a lot of notes there um <clears throat> whew, I had a few here um because okay so how this happens is like they're a very like aggressive physical group right yes. and so they go mm-hmm. there and the rival gang is gonna like beat them up but then Rayodin is able to like talk them out of it mm-hmm. and basically how he talks him out of it is like you're made for something more like you're not you don't need to be resorted 
or you don't need to resort to being like an animal. Like you're made, you're a person. You can oh, have yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I just really like the society Ray Odin's building. Cause like, if we're thinking about it as like, you know, if you could build a society from scratch, what would you do? I think Ray Odin's making a lot of good decisions of like helping mm-hmm. people see their humanity and their worth and their value. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that's drawing them in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so I like that. There's also, um, there's, oh, okay. There's also this one line that I thought was really interesting when um, Rayon, I think he's like just about to convince them to join his gang. And so he's like trying to get them to not like, you know, fight and be aggressive. And Rayon says, why fight? Why worry about killing? Outside, they fight for wealth. Wealth that is ultimately used to buy food. They fight for land, land to raise food. Eating is a source of all struggle, but we have no needs. Our bodies are cold. We barely need clothing or shelter to warm us. And they continue on even when we don't eat. It's amazing. And so he's kind of taking this thing that's like, you know, sounds terrible, but he's like turning it on its head. I just thought that was interesting to think about. It reminded me of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how mm-hmm. like you have your basic level needs you need to meet first. And then like once those things are met, then you can focus on other things like, you know, self-actualization or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, we're, we can already be at the self-actualized part. We can just do mm-hmm. the things we love. I just thought that was really cool. I think that is interesting. And how you were describing it, where my mind went to, is that when Elantrist was with full power, they didn't worry about food either because they could just make it out of thin air. Yeah. And right. so even even though they are, quote unquote, cursed or fallen or however you want to say it, you still have like those echoes maybe. Yeah. 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 And it's like, well, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was the only thing that I highlighted here is when Rayodin's talking to the gang leader. His name's Anden, but his real name is Tan and Tan is a sculptor. And so Rayodin says to him, I want to know who, when faced with such opportunity, would choose to be Anden, the gang leader, instead of Tan, the sculptor. And so my question for you is, do you think we have a choice in who we are? If you have two sides to yourself, can you just decide to be different? Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> Well, it sounds like it's maybe not so much like his character, but it's almost like his profession that he's choosing. And I Mm -hmm. think that is something more that you can choose. Like it's easier to Mm -hmm. change. And so it's like he is a sculptor and he's kind of in a way meant to be a sculptor, but instead he's chosen to be a gang leader. Um, Mm -hmm. Like when faced with this difficult situation like being cursed as an elantrian he's chosen this like violent route but he can choose a better route so i I wasn't thinking about as much of like this is actually who he is but Mm -hmm. it seemed like the gang leader was kind of like a front he put on as like a defense almost to survive elantris Mm -hmm. yeah no i think that i think that's a good answer that's kind of where i was at too with it yeah Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts? That's an interesting question. Mm, No, that was pretty much it. 
I did have a something with Ton and Andon. Um, because oh. <clears throat> after I forget when we talked about this, but like how all the are they called aeons, like the letters or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I forget if this is in the chapter or I may have even looked it up in the back, but um Ton and Andon, they both have like the double oh A-A-N. And that's oh. aeon, and it means truth or fact. Oh. Yeah. What do you Look think that's you. about? Oh, no. So which one means truth, Tan? Both of them, because they both have A-A-N. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, now I'm going to change my whole position. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Because before you were saying how he just put on his face to survive Elantris. Now I'm going to flip it. Both sides are who he is. Both sides are the true version. But he has a choice where he can be the evil version of himself or he can lean in and be the best version. Interesting. I think that could be, that's a good interpretation too. Mm-hmm. that's interesting because I when I saw that they both meant truth I kind of assumed that the Andon truth was actually it was like a perversion of truth like oh. is truth, Andon is a fake truth mm. but I I see how you're thinking that they're both true which is oh curious yeah that's I, like inter- I I can see your way too fascinating I look to see if like the rest of and it like den was a letter mm-hmm. and if that meant anything but it did not yeah so i like both of our interpretations i like them too i i can i'm not leaning one way or the other i could see it being really either maybe a little of both i don't know yeah we need to ask the fandersons you know what i was just thinking i was like maybe i should listen to that other podcast and see what he said <laughs> good did you have any other little nuggets in here i think that's it it was a good chapter i think so too okay so now we're at chapter 17 are those still airplane notes okay the first three bullet points are but the rest of them are typed okay great so do you do you want to do the summary? Or do you want me to do it? Okay, I think I can do. I think I could do this. Okie dokie. If not, I can do it. It's okay. Um, I'll start, and then we'll see what happens. Okie okay. dokie. Um, so in this chapter, we see Serene, and she's teaching the other ladies how to fence. Is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. The fencing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that's like you know kind of a big thing because these ladies don't do that here, even though it's kind of common where Serene was from. Mm-hmm. And so she's decided to teach all the knitting ladies how to fence. Um, but Serene just grows more and more annoying in this chapter. Oh my god. Oh my so god. Cringe. She's the worst. <laughs> There's some good lines like she punctuated every sentence with her sword or something like that, where it's just like, <sighs> oh, get over yourself, Serene. So she's kind of like pretentious teaching this. This is my own interpretation. She's pretentious teaching this lesson and the ladies aren't doing very well. And Serene's like, why don't they get it? 
And then some guys come in and they're like, wow, fencing, fun. And then the guys will start giving the knitting ladies some tips and the knitting ladies get so much better because the guys are like actually good at explaining things. And Serene is like, oh. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Why didn't they get it? And it's like, oh gosh, Serene, come on. So anyways, but that happened. Um, I'm sure some other things happened with the knitting or yeah, with their like fencing class. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's see what, oh, oh, and then she talks to her dad and that's a pretty big part. Whoa, of whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay. Is that this chapter? It is. But she, she visits the priest before oh, that. Yeah, okay. And that's important. That's right. Okay. She visits the priest. Um, who's a Karathi priest. Mm -hmm. um, her religion. Which is her religion. Mm -hmm. um, and then she talks to her father. Yes. Uh, but big, the big thing from the church is that she realizes that she inherited Prince Rayodin's estate. She oh, didn't think she had any money. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty important. Yeah. So that's a big one. So. All right, you can keep going with your summary, but that was very important. So I didn't want yeah, to. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, and we can talk more about all those things. Um, but then, and this is where we get to my type notes. Oh, Serene, oh. Serene is talking to her father, who's named Aventio, and he's the king of what's her place called? Tiad. Tiad, yeah. Yeah, he's the king of Tiad. Um, and her father, Aventio, is like, hey, the Jordan could invade at any moment. And he's kind of in this position of he has to choose, like, should I, if I convert, then we could all be safe or people will be destroyed. So that's a conversation they have. Um, mm -hmm. They just talk a lot about like what's going on in both of their places. Mm -hmm. um, they're both kind of in a, in a tough spot. Yes. The other big thing is that we have confirmation that Harathan was the Yorn who destroyed Duladan. Oh, right. Because the king, um, even Tio, he is like, you, like to Serene, he's like, you got to come home. Like, that guy is so dangerous. We got to get you out of there. And then Serene goes in this long monologue about how nobody wanted her, even though she's like six feet tall and like so thin and blonde and a princess and nobody wants her. And that was just like a big yuck. Okay, I actually at that point I felt bad for Serene. I was like, "Oh, Serene, that's tough. A whole country doesn't like you." I mean, that's kind of hard. I, I don't know with this girl. I don't know. I don't know that she's a reliable narrator on that front. I, <laughs> I'm a little dubious of her. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Okay, but I think that's a good summary. So let's go back to the knitting circle fencing people unfortunately the cringy okie dokie so we are there um my first note is every woman from the embroidery circle had come even the stately deora and the equally scattered brain queen eshin and my first note was serene is not a girl's girl mm -mm. she is so rude about all of these women and she's so judgy and she's like because they like to knit and they don't like the things that I like 
they're beneath her. Yeah. Okay. So do you think this is um, Brandon Sanderson trying to write a like strong female character, but kind of missing it a little, or do you think maybe this is purposeful and um, what's her face? Serene has kind of had to like adopt this, I don't know, dislike of girly things so that she could like survive in the palace because even in Tiad, maybe she's still, you know, she was a woman. And so maybe she still had some disadvantages. So she kind of had to align with the guys. What do you think? Yeah. I don't know if it's like good writing or if it's annoying writing. (laughs) Like, you know how sometimes when you know, it's a really great actor because do you hate their character? Yeah. That so I don't know if the writing is just so on the nose for this type of person and this type of person is one that I don't like that I'm having a reaction to it or that it's just I don't know lazy cliche writing. Yeah. I know, but we don't really see that anywhere else. Nothing else is lazy or cliche. I don't know, but she's also the only female character yeah maybe it's different to write I don't know well there is some like weird cringy writing like throughout his book you mean yeah and even in this chapter we can get to a little bit later um but do you have do you have any immediate notes on the knitting circle um okay other than the cringy cringy she punctuated her sentences with (laughs) with a few thrusts and swipes. I found the line. Uh, Okay, my next note I have is Shudin comes up here and I didn't really take a ton of notes, but the note I wrote down was, is Shudin her Athens informant? I forget what made me think of that, but apparently I thought that. Oh, interesting. Know why I wrote that? Okay, well, Shudin is... Let me see. I believe it's Shudin. I believe it's Shudin. Um, does this basically Tai Chi? Um, I don't know what you call it a Chai Tea routine. So you imagine all the knitting circle women, they're practicing their fencing, they're being normal, and then Shudin comes in and he's like super hunky, and all the women. I'm imagining they drop their fencing things and then he just goes in the corner and he does this crazy Tai Chi routine with his eyes closed. And this is the quote I pulled out. His taut muscles rippled as his hands spun in controlled loops, his body flowing in response. Even though his motions were slow and precise, there was sweat glistening on his, I put skill, maybe skin. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, ew, gross, cringe. And then, and then the part that was just the most ridiculous of all of this is that after that scene, he walks in, he takes off his shirt, he does his Tai Chi routine, he's sweating. And then Serene's like, how am I supposed to get these girls to focus now? And he's like, I didn't even know anyone was looking at me. Oh my gosh. And I was just like throwing up. I hated it. (laughs) Yes, it was the worst. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone in here, get over yourself. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder the queen has had to like become insane to deal with all you people. (laughs) She's probably the most normal one to begin with. 
I know, I know. I I was just like gag. Hush. Yeah, Serene. Serene has a lot of cringe in her chapters. Yeah, because it's you started off thinking Serene was perfect and she had no flaws. I did. I think she was always annoying though from the beginning. Yeah, you never really liked her. <laughs> but but you're right. This is like this is like her one flaw is like she's so good at fencing that she can't break it down for others. It's one of those things like, what's your greatest weakness? It's like, I'm just so good. I can't, <laughs> I couldn't possibly teach someone else. That's kind of how this felt where I was like, I maybe this is trying to show that she does have flaws like this one in painting. Like she can't teach people and she can't paint. I was like, that's dumb. Right. And she's so tall and thin and beautiful and a princess and nobody wants her because she's too smart. <laughs> but that is all the same yeah that is literally that's why that's why I'm having such like a strong reaction to her is because her whole shtick is I'm so good I'm so beautiful I'm so everything and it's a struggle <laughs> you wouldn't possibly understand exactly okay so if you're good with it let's let's leave the fencing circle Good idea. Okay. Oh, wait, okay. So the next line before we get to Omen oh God. about the fence. Do you know the line I'm talking about? Probably. Go for okay. it. Okay. Well, anyways, it's about the fencing circle. So the last note, but more cringe. Serene says, they'll all be devilishly sore tomorrow, Serene said with a smile. And I was like, ugh. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm gagging. I'm so that. fit and in shape. I won't feel anything, but these ladies have never lifted a finger in their lives. Well, <laughs> oh my God. Well, I know. That's what she says next. Most of these women are so pampered that they've never felt anything more serious than the prick of a stitching needle. Ugh, she's just the worst. I know. She's super judgy, even though her religion is that of love. Uh, she's super judgy towards all these women. And she, it's just weird because it's it seems like where she came from everyone was judging her yeah and so then she comes out and then she's being in her mind really nasty to all these women yeah so no maybe it's like you know i don't know like when you've been bullied and you bully other people <sighs> hurt people hurt people yeah Ooh. yeah i don't know okay yeah, but Serene anyway. is she's falling down the ranks in my opinion. Where is she in comparison to Diloff? I was just going to say right above. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually like Diloff's like. I think I like Diloff better. I, he's entertaining. He gives me laughs. <laughs> so <sighs> Serene gives me vomit. <laughs> she gives me acid reflux. That's what she gives me. <laughs> oh my goodness okay so now we're gonna go to the church yep that's that's what we need after that chapter yeah we need the cleansing of the palate <laughs> okie dokie so she goes there just to kind of like pray and she she like feels very at home in this religion right she wants to be there um yes so that's pretty much it um serene 
she's like talking about the widow's trial. So that's why she goes to the church because she's trying to get that information. And then she says about Ray Odin, she's like, I didn't love him. Not really. I didn't even know him. And so she keeps talking. She keeps like putting up this front, but we find out from Ray Odin in the subsequent chapter that they actually talked a lot. And it seemed like they actually had a very strong connection. And so she's just continually downplaying it, I think, as self-preservation. Right. Except that one time when it was to her benefit to be in the men's club. And she said, at least that means about my husband's dream. I didn't get to meet him. And we're like, oh my God. You didn't even like him. But you're right. I think, I think it is like a protective front, which I totally understand. That's hard, but still. But I agree, but I hate her still. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. So she's talking to the priest. Okay. Here is an interesting thing. The priest's name is Omen and he comes up again later and his name, it's like the word Omen, but instead of an E, it's an I. And so Mm. I think he's like a, yeah, I think he's like a prophetic character and he's either mm-hmm. going to make good omens or bad omens. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So did you have any potential nuggets or omens that he might've said? Okay. Um, you know, so actually I had written that down in a later chapter. So I, I, I'm actually still on my notes. I took on the plane. We're almost out at the second half of the chapter. I'll be oh, okay. <laughs> back, but I do have some notes from, um, the priest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So there was one, I have a few notes. One of them was, I think he says that unity often springs from strife. I thought that was interesting. Yes. Yes, since unity yes. is such a theme. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought that was, I don't know. They're always talking about like, how do we unify the people? And he's like, well, mm-hmm. strife will unify people. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of forget. So, so that came up because cause I wrote down that same thing exactly because of the unity thread. And he said, Dami or God sees fit to send disasters upon the world. Other times he will give the most innocent of children a deadly disease. There are no more curses than what happened to Elantris. They are simply the workings of the world. All things must progress and progression is not always a steady incline. Sometimes we fall, sometimes we rise. Some must be hurt while others have fortune. For that is the only way we can learn to rely on one another. As one is blessed, it is his privilege to help those whose lives are not as easy. Unity comes from strife interesting that's a good pair that's a good little you know thought there that the priest says yeah Yeah. before he goes back into his like dementia delusions (laughs) because he's like very old and like (laughs) see he this is like god speaking through him because yeah really not there with it but the god is like speaking directly through this guy yes here was a good omen Hmm. Well, and yeah, and that is kind of interesting. Unity comes from strife. Maybe it comes from all of these things. I don't know. Yeah, but I could see what he's saying of like people helping each other is, mm-hmm. but unifying them. So when the, if because if everyone is has like a perfect life and you don't need anything, then you wouldn't need to rely on each other. Hmm. 
So that's interesting to think about the Elantrians who didn't need anything. Mm -hmm. They all still seemed united. They're united with hope. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So I guess you can be united even without pain and strife. Well, maybe Serene and her group is united from strife. Oh. Are they? Well, that would that would kind of make sense because isn't there like tagline? They always say you're united in love, right? That's, so her home religion is united with love. Oh, so what are you saying? So I'm saying her ragtag team, her the boys club and the girls club, maybe they're united from strife. Like they're all coming together because times are hard and they have to rely on each other to try to save the town oh i think you're exactly right i think that makes a lot of sense oh wow thank you (laughs) i just just pulled that one up out of the air (laughs) i like that though because they're all coming in with like all these different like pieces of the puzzle and they're Mm -hmm. help each other and strife is what brought them together Mm -hmm. unify them but then also hopefully unify like the rest of the town yes i like that Good. I like your support too. That makes me like, I feel like I'm glowing. (laughs) (laughs) Girl, don't even need the the forehead. The forehead injection? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just have a shiny forehead. You won't see all the wrinkles. (laughs) You just need my pump up. Yeah. Okay. So anything else with the church? Um, (laughs) oh, okay. So I think, okay. So she, does she learn about the widow's trial here? Oh yes, she does. Mm -hmm. So the widow's trial is something where she's supposed to like do something nice, basically. Yes. Someone else. And so he's, the priest says, um, the more you loved your husband, the more lofty your station, the more extravagant your trial is supposed to be. Oh, she's supposed to do some favor for the country. And so some, oh, yeah. most women mm-hmm. give food or clothing to the peasantry. The more personal your involvement, the better the impression you give. Um, the trial is a method of service, a means of bringing humility to the exalted. Which I really like. But mm-hmm. I had a prediction here, and I won't say if it's true or not, even though, because I don't know how far we're going to get in this episode, but my prediction on the plane was that Serene's trial will be helping the Elantrians. Oh, wow. What made you think of that? Um, I think maybe something like it's supposed to be personal and also like these stories have to connect at some point. And so yes. either um, Serene and Rayodin are going to meet when he's like sneaking out of Elantris Mm-hmm. Or just gonna go into Elantris and somehow they're gonna like team up there. Oh, interesting. I think that's what made me think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good guess to me. Thanks. So that's, I didn't have anything else on the church, but that was a really good point that we forgot about in the summary too. Is the wit, she learns about what the widow's trial is at the church. Right. Very important. Mm hmm. So now she's talking to her dad and they're just kind of catching up. Yeah. A lot happens in Serene's chapters. I know. It's too bad she's such a drag. 
<laughs> That's just the thing Serene would do. Make her chapters extra long. <laughs> extra long and complicated. We have to talk about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I noted for here was that King, even Tio said to Serene, these are dangerous times. I just had to put down another Jaskery mystery cult. They always seem to spring up when an eclipse is near. Ooh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so now we're starting to see this new thread pulling through. And so we learned about it with Galadin. And then here we see even in Tiad, they're having like these cult things happening and we don't know what the religion is exactly, but it's starting to kind of pop up. <clears throat> okay, right. Interesting. Okay, so he says, right, there's all these like weird cults coming up. Um, and then the next thing he says is that, uh, who is it? The Fjordan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, whoever, the leader from Fjordan, um, he Wern. Wern. Yes, that's right. Has he like threatened them or something? Um oh oh he he left. Is I'm trying to see the I'm oh to... so they they had like a they had like a resident priest there and he was trying to convert the he was trying to convert Tiod. Right. And the priest left and he's basically like, I can't help you guys. Right. Okay. Yes. And so that's no good because then that means that that religion is likely to like attack them. Yes, exactly. Like they said, okay, we've given our opportunity for you to convert. You have said no. Bad news is coming. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bad news bears. Bad news bears. Okay. Um, I had... Was there anything other other major thing that happened? I had some like lines and things written down. The other big thing that happened, so even Tio talks about the Jess Green mystery cult. And then the next thing that he brings up, which starts to come into play later on, even Tio says to Serene, Dakor, however, worries me. I've heard some horrible stories about that monastery. So this is a Karathi monastery. So Prathen's religion, one of their like places. I can't fathom why anyone, even the Dorethi, would do such things. So we don't know anything about Dakor, except it sounds like it's this really evil, horrible monastery that does some really bad stuff. Oh, yeah. Were they like training them to fight or something? So in the subsequent chapters with, Rathen, we find out that he went to he was at decor oh right okay yes that's what I was thinking of yeah so there's a line that comes up in a later chapter and he's like back when I was learning getting all my military training in the monastery and I was like that's not what usually happens at a monastery <laughs> yeah yeah so so this is the first time like we're hearing about it and it's starting to kind of become more of a bigger player okay that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this chapter had lots of interesting things going on. Um, I thought it was interesting how, um, I thought it was interesting seeing Serene and her father talk about like, well, what should we do? Um, 
and this idea of like truth versus safety came up where mm. it's like the king eventio he doesn't believe in the religion and he's like but you know my best option might be to convert so that we mm. let everyone's safe um and let's see okay and there's this line that serene thinks and she says conversion was obviously the more logical choice however a quiet voice inside her argued that it was worth dying if death would prove that truth was more powerful than physical strength um which i just thought was really interesting and a good point of like are some things are worth dying for and maybe it's truth if you really believe in that truth or, or is it worth dying for? So I guess the question is, mm-hmm. is it, would you risk your life so that you wouldn't have to um, reject the truth? Or would you still embrace the truth because you know that's what's true and that's what's right, even if it meant losing your life? I think, I think where I would draw the line would be, okay, so if we're if we're saying this is represents quote unquote Islam out of the thing, and they roll in and they say, if you believe our religion, then you're fine. And if you don't, you die. And I say, okay, fine, I believe your religion now. And you know, I believe whatever I want to believe in my private life, but publicly I do what they want, I follow the things. If everything else stays the same okay, I could be okay with that. If I do all the things that they say and then the next day they come in and then they say, sorry, now women can't go to schools anymore. Now, you know, and then they start rolling things back. Yeah. Now I would rather (laughs) die trying to save what I believe is the truth yeah. So I, I think it would, I think from, and that's, I think the hard part is that you don't know what's going to happen. You hope that, okay, I give you this one concession and then they stop. Right. Right. But there, there might be a lot more, but I guess it's, hmm, I don't know. So, but it sounds like there are things that you wouldn't be willing to concede even if, if it, it was going to cause harm to me or to other people. But yeah, I think if it was going to cause harm to people, then that that changes the entire equation. Okay. That makes it a possibility of, okay, I might, I might fight till I die for that. But if it's something where it's like, okay, just, just do these couple of things and then that's it. Right. And we won't do anything else. And that was like really the end of it. Then I'd be like, okay, fine, whatever. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I don't know. Because I think there are some things like that that I believe are true. That even if like I just had to be nominally different, you know, like Mm -hmm. I had to say I believe something else. I don't know if I would do it. I guess it's just like a thought of like, it just comes more to like a worldview, I guess, of like, is it 
only the physical or do you believe in the physical and the spiritual? So it's like mm-hmm. spiritually, even if, or like, even if you're not like being physically hurt in any way, you could be like spiritually hurt in a way. If you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, agreeing to something that isn't true. So I guess that could be another way to view it of like, is this hurting you? It's like, well, maybe, maybe not physically, but maybe it is hurting you. Well, you were a teacher for like a small private school, but if you were in a public school and you were supposed to teach about, say something explicitly that you didn't agree with or the reverse, not be able to say something that you felt was like prevented from saying what you believe is the truth. So if you were forced to say what you think is a lie or, or if you were forced to not speak the truth. What do you think about that? Would I do it? If I had to say something I didn't agree with, I would definitely, I, I would talk with someone and say like, what else can I do? Like, I think that's something I'd be willing to, um, what's the word? Fight against? That's mm-hmm. a little strong. Mm-hmm. But so I don't want to, and, and like if we're sp- thinking like just literally about like a teacher, like I think you have some sort of like moral obligation to Mm-hmm. things that are good and that are true yeah. and I really don't think it's a good and true thing then I don't think I could teach it in good yeah faith you know mm-hmm. so and I mean for like in that instance if it were like a public school I think you could say like some people think this and like yeah. I could be fine saying that yeah so but what if they said you cannot say x y and z Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, like if it was like you're gonna lose your job if you don't say this. I don't know. That's no. all. If you do, if you say, if you say something in this, oh, or if you vein. say, something. um, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. Like in this specific example, I feel like there's a difference between having to say something that's false versus not mm-hmm. saying something that's true. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't say the thing that I'm actually thinking if I still like agree and believe in all the things I am saying, Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Like there is a right place and a right time to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. Yeah. So this kind of brings me to my last note for this chapter. And this is what the King says to Serene. And he says, truth can never be defeated, Serene, even if people do forget about it occasionally. Oh yeah. I like that line. I like that line and it sounds really good, but I'm like, that's a big fat lie. Oh, tell me more. Well, I mean, truth, as we know, in terms of history is written by the victors. Oh. And we'll never know. Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. I was, well, what about truths in other contexts? Like not just history. I think there's probably a lot of quote truths that have been lost to time. Or like like, what kind of truth is something that just like prevails, 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 prevails. Right. Well, okay. So when I read that line, I wrote it down and the little note I wrote with it was truth doesn't stop being true. Even if no one thinks it's true, which is a little, but Mm -hmm. what I was thinking of was actually something that I taught um, when I was teaching science was that we actually had a chapter on like truth. I thought it was actually such a helpful chapter because um, it was saying how there's like this thing that is true and it won't stop being true because it's true. And that's just what truth is. Like, mm-hmm. always, 
And like in science, we're always trying to like, you know, learn more about the world and how it works. And science is always changing because we're never actually at the true thing. But with mm-hmm. each other, we're trying to get closer and closer to the true thing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I was understanding this. Oh. Uh, I do think there is something that is truth mm-hmm. and will never stop being truth, even if no one knows about it or no one agrees with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I was taking it more of the perspective of each person's experience is different mm-hmm. and how I'm operating in walking through the world, I see things and I, what I believe that I saw, and I believe that it's completely true is one thing. And someone else could be walking alongside me and have a different interpretation right, of the same events. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, which one is quote unquote true? What really happened? Right. And it's not that I'm wrong or they're wrong. It's just how how we perceive events and how we process like the information. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of both that reminded me, I forget where I heard this analogy. It's probably a podcast, but it was, it was talking about truth, I think. And it was like, imagine there's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room and like there's two people and they're blindfolded and they're both like touching the thing. And someone's Mm -hmm. hand is like on the trunk and someone's hand is on like the leg and someone else is on like, Mm -hmm. and basically they're all saying like what they're feeling but of course, what they're feeling is all like very different, but all they're yes. true because that's what they're experiencing. But the truth yes. is an elephant, even if they can't see it. So like the truth, oh. it is something and we maybe have parts of it and we can maybe put those together to get to the truth. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I thought that was a helpful. So I don't mm-hmm. know. So I don't know if that kind of applies here too. Yeah, I think, I think yes, but I, I see what you're saying. I do think that the truth can be just like completely buried though. Yeah, I agree. Right. Cause like, even like I said, like with history, like if someone, if someone cuts off the elephant tusk and that's the only thing left and then they kill the elephant and no one knows what it looks like and it's been completely incinerated and there's no evidence that the elephant was ever there and all you have is the tusk. Right. Now what? Right. Yeah. Then we'll never know what was true. Which doesn't right. mean there was something that was true. But you're right. Some things we'll just never know. We'll just never know. They're gone. And we won't even know that we don't know them. Exactly. Which is the other conundrum. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts here? Um, (laughs) I had a few, okay. Okay. So just some last thoughts on Eventio, um, is, oh, actually. Okay. Okay. I had two thoughts on Eventio, Mm -hmm. one thought on Serene and one thought on just names in Elantris. So the names in Elantris thing, (laughs) so everyone's name has rhymed so far and they've all started with the same letter. And then- Eventio is talking about how King Iodin, who's the king of like K, the town we're in, his mm-hmm. merchant fleet was sunk and they're like, oh my gosh, who did it? And so some people think it's pirates, but really it's probably Fjordan and it's probably this whole like ploy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And guess what the pirate's name was? Timon? 
No, that would be it. That'd be a good name too. That would be more in line with all the other names. Oh, okay. What was it? It was Crush Throat. <laughs> and I'm like, why couldn't <laughs> my note was why couldn't everyone have such reasonable names? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like it if everyone's name was that literal, but I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> that is like so wild. Um, I think what Sanderson likes to do with his books because he does a lot of world building is he likes people to very easily fit into various categories so you know oh I know these people are from Tiod or they're from Arleon because they have these kind of names and I know Galadin is from Duladel because he has this kind of name and Crushthroat is a, clearly a pirate because <laughs> He made up his own name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I guess that makes sense. But everyone everyone still rhymes. That is a really, that's honestly a horrible pirate name. Yeah, it's not even a good one. <laughs> it's not. Crush Throat, no. Ah, whatever. Okay, so that, that was my comment on the name. Um, some comments on Eventio. So I think it's interesting because Eventio is a leader and we have, what's his face? Iodin. Iodin. We have Iodin as a leader. Then we have Wrath, who's also trying to be a leader. They all have these mm -hmm. interesting like parallels and things going on. And so mm -hmm. Eventio, um, there's two things that we learned from Eventio. One is that he, oh, he spent like, he sent spies. Mm -hmm. um, oh, he spent, he sent spies out to Fjordan or something. Um mm -hmm even though they're likely to die and his reason is so that thousands can live. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting because that's kind of what Harappan's doing where he's like, well, mm -hmm. some people need to die, but it's so that the more people can live. Mm -hmm. And it just feels so different though, because Harathan is like making this choice for people and he's kind of, kind of choosing like who's going to live and die a little bit mm -hmm. versus um, Aventio I imagine there's some level of like choice in becoming a spy and like mm -hmm. going on the mission. Um, and so it just seems like a much more like noble sacrifice versus what we see in Harathen. Yes. One, one is made in a vacuum where one person is just deciding everything. Now it's very possible that even Tio is doing the exact same thing because he is the king. That's true. So we don't know, but based on his conversations and how Serene operates, I think it's reasonable to assume that there is some level of uh, joint decision. Yeah. Yeah. To He's some degree. Right. Right. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. I would agree with that. And then the other thing we learned about Eventio and his kingship is that, um, <clears throat> He said when his options were either conversion or letting his people be destroyed, he'd have to choose conversion. And then he said, a king's duty is to protect his people, which is interesting because that seems very different from what whatever Iodin is doing, where his goal mm -hmm. seems to just like to be like, I don't know, get more money and have more power. Yes, his he believes being a king is to rule the people. Right. Yeah. Not protect the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just thought those were interesting. Yeah. 
And I think that goes to why there's more stability in TIAD and why it seems like it's better. Although we're only getting a perspective from Serene and she was a princess. Um, so her whole impression of TIAD could be completely backwards. Yeah, that's true. Like if we read this book with two perspectives from people from, um, Ayad. no, the Dorethy people, oh, folks, if we had gotten two perspectives of there, maybe we would find out that Tiad is a horrible place or we would think Tiad was a horrible place and they do all of these weird cult things. And so yeah. that's a good point. And then thinking back to like what you're saying about truth earlier is that, yeah, depending on who you ask, you get a very different view of the world. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I think this is all I have it in me for chapters. I think, Sometime. I think, yeah, I know because it's late over there. No, 9.30. Oh, it's really late. Thanks for staying up. Yeah, no, no, no. This was great. Yeah. Was great. Um, do we have like an ending thing for the podcast or do we just end abruptly no we should probably do something a little more okay okay so that's it for today's pod you know what we can do it in post okay yeah that's true too we can um, do it in post we'll come up with something yeah i like it because we can probably come in and say oh in the next episode we'll do x y and z once we know what the next episodes are yeah i think yeah i like that idea Okay. All right, girly. Well, I love you so much. Love you too. Bye. Love, love you. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bookalicious. If you've listened to the last three episodes, you'll know that we, in fact, have not recorded a special ending to add in post-editing. But since we mentioned it in this episode, I thought I'd record one special just for you. So thanks again for joining our book club today. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review or let us know by emailing us at bookalicious.pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. On our next episode, we'll be covering the next three chapters of Elantris in depth as per usual. And that's about it for this special post video message. So thanks again for joining. We loved having you with us today and we can't wait to see you at the next episode.